0: Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the sales leader's playbook. Today, we welcome Carlos Della Torre, CRO Trip Action, a business with a moderate 625 million investment from the likes of Lightspeed Venture Partners and A16Z. In this episode, we discover a remarkable turnaround of a technology business operating in one of the most challenging sectors in the world, travel. This is his playbook.
1: for 33 CXOs, we investigate one of the greatest success stories in the history of software sales. 33 CXOs learnt the playbook from one man, John McMahon, a legacy which stretches back to the late 90s at a company called PTC. They were later reunited at Blade Logic, which was acquired by BMC. What happened next was truly remarkable. These CXOs went on to become the most prolific sales leaders in the software industry. They've raised over 22 billion in VC funding. They contribute to 4% of software turnover globally, 26 unicorns, eight Decacorns, and the companies they drive have a combined valuation of 230 billion. At Hunters and Unicorn, we're revealing their playbook. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host Dolly Kune hey everyone and it's an absolute privilege and honor to welcome carlos de la torre carlos welcome
2: thank you thank you for having me i'm uh, i'm excited to meet with the two of you today
0: brilliant thanks for you thanks ever so much for joining us really really much appreciated carlos we know how busy you are so um yeah really looking forward to this one
1: so carlos currently uh trip actions obviously 600 million funding um, you know, backed by Lightspeed Venture Partners and A16Z. Just tell us a little bit about Trip Actions and what you guys are, are doing and what your role is there.
2: So TripActions is the fastest growing travel management company in history. Uh, Pre-COVID, the company was growing at <clears throat> north of 10% month over month. Uh, essentially went from 2 million to 120 million recurring revenue in about two years uh, with uh, with with a very efficient uh, economics. Um, <clears throat> obviously, COVID had a uh, a massive impact on uh, on the travel industry and uh, trip actions. You know, as a company in particular. Um, however, what uh, I, we had a really rough March and April, and what's happened since then is a, f- a few things. <clears throat> I think we as an organization have learned uh, how to talk about what we do and the value of our solution and uh, and improving a company's travel post COVID. We've learned how to do that better. <clears throat> Um, Also, the company has innovated at a breakneck speed. We're really the only technology company in the travel space. And so while the rest of the industry has been in disarray and some of our competitors have laid off 70, 80% of their people and stopped funding their toll-free numbers and increased their fees, in that context, we've been innovating at a breakneck speed. We've uh, You know, released a COVID dashboard so that companies can manage travel uh, in a way that takes into consideration the relative risks uh, associated with the departure and the and the destination uh, region or location, uh, better controls for costs, et cetera. And so, <clears throat> I think what what companies realize is that travel was a big deal before COVID because it was such a big line item. It was typically the second biggest line item in a company's uh, expense statement. Post COVID, the stakes are even higher because not only is it a big expense, but they have to consider the the livelihood or the safety of their employees. And they realize that business recovery is, uh, is intertwined with, with travel. You want your salespeople out there closing business. If you're a construction company, you need your, your workers out there on site if you're building something. And so <clears throat> with the... Hopefully, uh, opening up of travel in, in the not too distant future, um, companies realize and, and are open to the idea of taking advantage of this downtime to optimize their travel program, how they manage payments, how they manage expense reporting, and, uh, and Trip actions really uh, has risen to the occasion from a product perspective. We've actually had five of the eight <clears throat> biggest months in the company's history during COVID. Um, we went into COVID with three Fortune 500 customers. We now have eight, and uh, and I'm I'm confident we'll have over a dozen by the you know by the end of the year. And so <clears throat> March and April were rough, but uh, but we're actually thriving from the perspective of signing on new customers and uh, and 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 innovating uh, from a product perspective.
1: Right. Well, obviously, it's uh, it, it's it's a remarkable company, um, as, as you said. It's, a, it's it is a technology company, which is which is fantastic. We are going to talk a little bit more about the mission and you know what what it is you're doing, kind of a bit later on in the show. But right. actually, Carlos, I want to take you you know down memory lane. Let's go right to the beginning where it all started. So, tell us, how did you get into software sales?
2: Into software sales? Well, <clears throat> um, after college. My first uh, sort of corporate job, if you will, was selling medical equipment, and I was working for a company called Coulter, <clears throat> and uh, I, I, my territory initially was uh, in the southeast. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, and I did well there, and the company moved me out to the Bay Area because their top competitor was was based there, and they were having a hard time in the Bay Area. <clears throat> and so... Uh, I was I was in my early 20s at the time. Uh, I landed in the Bay Area and uh, started meeting people in tech and, uh, and, and recognized that there were a lot of smart people who were uh, more economically uh, successful than I was. And uh, I thought I was at sort of the top of the game. I thought medical was the pinnacle of what one could do in sales and moving to San Francisco really opened my eyes to technology. <clears throat> and then I was very very fortunate that um, I you know coincident with me being intrigued by technology but not really knowing anything about it. coincident with that a recruiter I can't remember the guy's name he recruited quite a bit for parametric technology. Guy was out of Sacramento. Um, <clears throat> he called me up and, uh, and, and encouraged me to take an interview with with PTC, which I did and uh, they were the, they were the smartest most aggressive, most switched on, uh, people I had met in my professional life at the time. I remember my first interview was, uh, was dual. I, I interviewed with, uh, Todd Klubnick and Kathleen Brennan, and I came away from that interview on cloud nine. Anyway, long story short, I was, uh, I was very fortunate to get hired on at PTC and I joined in uh, September of 95. <laughs> so that's how I got into software.
1: I mean, it's uh, it's, it's, um, it's a remarkable place. Obviously, PTC, this this the, the the story we're obviously covering is a moment in time. We are obviously talking about Blade Logic, but actually the genesis was PTC. And we have spoken a lot about PTC. Just just tell us, you know, was it the perfect match for you? Why do you think they hired you?
2: They I later learned they had a pretty clear uh, sort of recruiting philosophy. <clears throat> they went to industries where they believed that there was uh, there was a lot of sales talent, where there was a lot of sales enablement, and where there were companies that were intolerant of non-performance, <clears throat> and so they went into those industries and picked out the best people because they knew that by pulling them into software, they could show them more financial upside. And so they hired uh, the best people out of medical, they pir- hired the best people out of uh, copier sales, out of um, payroll services, and a few other industries. These were industries where the top top reps might make back then a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty thousand $150,000. And, uh, and they could show uh, salespeople that could make significantly more than that and, uh, and and so they were able to pick sort of the best of but when you hire people from a different industry you're really hiring the talent and so the only way for that strategy to work is to also to 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 pair it with fantastic enablement which PTC did they had really really strong uh, sales training
0: brilliant. And 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 you were there for four years. Did you join as an individual contributor, Carlos?
2: I did. Yes, I joined in the uh, I joined in the uh, Mountain View office. Uh, There were uh, people had offices back then. It wasn't. It was before the days of open plan, and there weren't any offices left. And so uh, they cleared out a uh, utility closet, a small utility closet for me, and uh, it smelled like bleach. And I'm, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that I got my start at PTC in, uh, in a room that smelled like cleaning supplies.
0: Brilliant. Who was it that was, was your mentor at that stage? So who did you report into?
2: Well, I reported to Todd Klubnick, and he was great. He was, uh, he was, he was a great, um, uh, developer and very supportive, but really my mentor initially, the guy I looked up to was Jim drill. He was right. my second line manager and, uh, and, and he was awesome. He, uh, <clears throat> I remember, I remember it was one of my first might've been my first meeting uh, where he was presenting and uh, he was he was talking about the importance of building pipeline. And he told a great story about a guy running a marathon and the guy's running the race uh, uh, and uh, he's got a rock in his shoe and he's running the race and he's a couple of miles into it. And this rock's kind of bothering him, but he doesn't really want to slow down and fix you know take out the rock or anything he's got a race to run and so he keeps running and a few miles later the 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 annoyance has become painful and but he keeps running at this point he couldn't possibly stop he's he's doing well in this race and by the end of the race he can or by the by the latter stages of the race he can see his tennis shoe has become sort of dark red uh brown because of the blood because the rock has Bore a hole in the bottom of his foot, and and now he's really limping, and runners are starting to pass him by and uh, he ultimately doesn't do very well in the race. And it's because he didn't stop and take the fucking rock out of his shoe. And that's what pipeline generation is. Like, (laughs) If you have a pipeline problem, it's very tempting to say, oh, I'm going to take the few deals that I do have, and I'm just going to execute really hard. I'm going to run really hard and turn these shitty deals into a decent forecast. You can't just stop Take the rock out of the shoe. Recognize you don't have a pipeline and 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 PG and go dedicate yourself to PG and uh, and he was he was dead right and uh, and it was a it was a very valuable lesson and I still remember the story. Jim's great. Jim Jim can tell a story better than just about anybody.
1: <laughs> what what a great story! <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so obviously PTC after PTC you, you kind of write um. You grew within the business. You, you became kind of more kind of management positions within
2: PTC, or yep, uh, yeah, exactly. A year um, after I joined, things happened in quarters there, <clears throat> so uh, I joined two weeks before the end of the fiscal year, and it was exactly you know a year and two weeks later that um, that I moved to Dallas, Texas, to be the DM for uh, Northern uh, Northern Texas. <clears throat> um, after that, I I went to Spain. And I was a regional director in Spain and Portugal, and then uh, my last stint with them was actually back in the Bay Area as AVP of the of the Northwest. So few roles.
0: Fantastic. And, wh- and what was it that you think they saw in you at that point, Carlos? That you know they wanted to give you the responsibility of of management.
2: I think they recognized that uh, that I was more of a scientist than an artist. You know, you have great salespeople that uh i know you had john on here i'm not sure i haven't i haven't seen his uh his his show so i don't know if he talked about artists but i i certainly learned it from john that um there are some people who are great and they don't know why they just are it's instinct and there are some people who are more process oriented and and i definitely fall into the latter category and so if you're process oriented then uh you know, you tend to think in, in, in processes and in KPIs and metrics. Uh, you think about building tools and building enablement. And so I think they, they, they thought that um, that I was able to replicate my performance across a team. It's probably, I'm guessing that's what they saw.
0: Sure. <clears throat> Interesting. So obviously, PTC, five years, great stint there. Um, then on to
2: MBN, was it? For eight months. and beyond yeah so yeah. <clears throat> so this is the dot-com days uh right so uh so I'm at PTC and uh I used to meet up with my friend Ara sometimes uh on Fridays <clears throat> we went to um the Palomino famous bar in San Francisco it's gone now and I meet Ara for a beer on a Friday and this is like the internet is just happening <clears throat> and uh PTC was a great company, but it wasn't an internet company. So it was definitely in the back of my mind that <clears throat> potentially I was missing out on this internet explosion that was happening. And ARA is someone I knew from the medical days, and we started talking about how the internet might shape <clears throat> uh, might shape the medical uh, medical equipment marketplace. And we came up with <clears throat> we came up with an idea, on a, uh, on a napkin and, uh, and Ara said, Hey, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to see if I'll, I can get us a meeting with some VCs to talk about this. And I thought that was nonsense, but it was, but it was fun to talk about over a beer. <clears throat> and sure enough, uh, the next week, uh, Ara had a meeting with, uh, Acacia Venture Partners. And, uh, one thing led to another, uh, a month later, we were, we were in another closet, <clears throat> ironically, <laughs> Ara and I, and another guy, Todd, and the three of us spent uh, the next few months writing a business plan that ultimately became a company called Provider Links, which a few months later merged with a company called Ambion. <clears throat> and that's what that was. It was a marketplace for medical products. It was we were one of about a a dozen companies, uh, you know, trying to solve that problem, and uh, <clears throat> we got some traction, but um, but the bubble burst. The bubble burst uh, before we had secured enough funding to really make the company successful. So ultimately, it was uh, it was acquired by another company that has since been acquired. And uh, the thing we built is still out there, but the company was ultimately not successful. It was a right. great experience, though.
0: Sure, and 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 this is where the streak happens, right? You obviously joined you joined Oblix in two thousands, which was then yeah. acquired by Oracle um am yep. logic which was then acquired by semantic That's and right. then on to um blade logic um <laughs> right. 2006 tell us about this day who called you and how that all came about
2: john and i were uh yeah john was giving me some uh, some career advice and uh and that career advice uh you know led to uh to him proposing that i uh, then I took a look at Blade Logic, which at the time was uh, was pretty small and unproven, and uh, I had a had a handful of conversations with John. I remember <clears throat> my official interview uh, with John when I when I went out to uh, to the office in, in Lexington there, and uh, I, spent, uh, I spent I spent I want to say two and a half or three hours with John, and then he had me meet some other folks. But uh, he went he went deep. He got to know me well. I think
0: sure so obviously you you knew john at that point you knew that he was he's obviously made some great decisions prior to that so what other points to that because you've mentioned that you're quite a a technical person you also mentioned that you're quite analytical you know at that point what is the decision criteria you're thinking about taking on on a a new role and an opportunity
2: yeah to be to be frank um I was, I was conflicted about joining, uh, blade logic because my alternatives, uh, were, were bigger, bigger roles, bigger teams. Uh, I had two alternatives and they were, and they were both, uh, bigger teams. I think they were bigger comp and, uh, John, uh, John did a good job of helping me appreciate the value of being developed by him. He sold himself. Uh, you know I knew of John, but at PTC there were multiple levels in between so I had really only ever gone on one one or two maybe two sales calls with John uh, but I but you know certainly his reputation was very strong but during that during that recruitment process he helped me see the value of having a great boss and ultimately that's what I bet on and uh, and he was right and, uh, and and it was a fantastic experience and lots of great things happened as a result so I uh, I'm very thankful to him for uh, for convincing me to take that role which wasn't wasn't obvious from a you know on paper it wasn't it wasn't obvious at the time so
1: so so obviously having previously worked at PTC you did a couple of stints and then working with John kind of a lot closer what did you start to change or what did you realize you had to start to change you know in, in that environment
2: Oh gosh, there's so much. There's so much. You know, one thing that became obvious uh, working with John is that um, it's not about managing appearances. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of companies, a lot of sales teams, you know, QBRs and sales reporting is all about creating an aura that everything is okay and everything's going to be good in the future. and uh, and you sort of learn how to how to build these uh, these these facades to mask the issues <clears throat> and actually, um, you know, you can actually talk yourself into thinking that everything is fine and, and and ignoring the issues. And that doesn't fly with John. John is a is a no bullshit guy and um, and he zeros in on the on the problems and he does. So he's very perceptive. And so. He can pick up on, uh, you know, tight, <clears throat> you know, quick comments or uh, indicators of an issue, and he's like a dog on a bone. He'll go, go, go until he gets to the real issue, and he will bring that issue to light and make the conversation about what's really wrong. And uh, <clears throat> that's a very healthy thing. But but that was new for me in the career, and so having conversations about what's really going on uh, is is. Is one of the one of the many aspects that was new, <clears throat> you know, having QBRs that weren't um, sort of an orchestrated show, but rather a real conversation about what's happening in the business and specifically what's not right, what the problems are. You know, there are people problems, there are enablement problems, there are pipeline problems, and and having having real conversations about about those things that, that was, uh, that was eye opening for me working for John and in, in, in that period. And, and how did that help you? You know, there's no other way to, there's no other way to fix a problem than to focus on it. And so if you're, if you're, if you're talking about what's really broken and if you believe in yourself and you're, <clears throat> and, and you're committed to, to being the best that you can be, then that conversation about what's what's broken leaves you post QBR with some things to really work on, and uh, and then come back at the next QBR and and hopefully either show some progress or uh, or talk about you know the 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 stum- you know the stumbles that you had trying to trying to fix those problems.
1: I suppose obviously medic is a, is a component <clears throat> of that, right? I think obviously that sits right on top of what you're talking about was adopting this kind of mindset, did this really help you understand the nuances behind what was actually going on? Did, did, you know, this mindset that you're talking about now is, it it, was that kind of when the lights came on for you?
2: You know, if you think about an onion, you know, medic, I use med pick. I, uh, uh, I like to, uh, incorporate a P for, for paper process, but, um, <clears throat> med, med medic or medpic is a i I, th- I think it's 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 fairly straightforward it's a framework for evaluating an opportunity identifying the gaps the risks uh building a strategy and then tying action items to that strategy <clears throat> so it's a very useful framework but um but but I think what I what I learned at Blade Logic and what I learned from John goes much deeper than analyzing a given deal. It's um, analyzing an individual and analyzing an individual's uh, innate capabilities and analyzing their skills and making real decisions about are they in the right role? Are they in the right company? Uh, and if If those two things are are true, then what are what is the priority of skill gaps they have? And therefore, um, we can build a program to make this person uh, successful. People can't typically they can't learn multiple things at once. And so what's the most important thing for them to learn now and then the next thing, and then the next thing. So that's at the individual level. And then I think you can look at it at a team level. You can look at it at an organization level. You can look at it, you know, at the entire company level. So um, just this mindset of looking for the problems and then going through a a thoughtful, uh, sort of a thoughtful, logical, uh, you know, programmatic process of, Identif- you know, putting a plan in place to, to fix the problems, whether we're talking about the problems with a deal, an individual, a team or an entire organization.
0: Interesting. And for you, I suppose, coming from a, kind of that, with that mathematical mindset and kind of wanting to break it down into components, that must have been quite comforting for you and in, 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 in the way that it works and the way that you work, right?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it yeah. works for me
0: um sure so look obviously um blade logic was started area vice president for east 2006 we had the acquisition happen in 2008 you've been at all these really exciting startups in an agile environment and then along comes bmc how did you feel when you heard that
2: announcement uh when i heard the announcement i was on my way uh downtown to uh in manhattan to a meeting with uh, bank of new york <clears throat> and i was in a taxi when i heard the announcement i think i got a text message from scott davis i believe um i was i was devastated i was i was i was really sad <clears throat> and um and uh my i was i was very distracted during this meeting at uh, at bank of new york and then i came out of the meeting and by that time you know a couple hours had passed and there was you know plenty of news about it um and uh <clears throat> I thought, you know, Blade Logic was such a beautiful thing. We had we had IPO'd six months before and uh and we were filled with enthusiasm and hope and uh and and really vigor to sort of take on the world as a as a standalone publicly traded company. And so the idea of of getting swallowed up by you know a legacy uh a legacy company that was comparatively very slow moving uh was 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 devastating. Um, what <clears throat> ended up happening, though, you know, over the coming, you know, over the ensuing uh, weeks and months, is that I realized there was an opportunity for the BladeLogic team to have a <clears throat> a real positive impact on BMC. That was only going to be possible if we had the right leadership in place, and uh, and 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 so uh, <clears throat> John spent some time. Uh, John spent some time, John was offered the, uh, the role to, to be the leader of BMC, and he wasn't sure he wanted to take it. And so he spent a little time deliberating over whether to take that role or not. And um, <clears throat> BMC had been uh, fairly generous with the BladeLogic leaders in terms of uh, stock grants. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, I knew... And, and and people around me knew that there was uh you know there was money to be made if we stayed at BMC and really uh invested ourselves in making BMC better. But I'll just speak for myself, uh, there was no chance I was gonna do it. Unless John was the leader, because I didn't believe in the way the organization was was operating. Uh, and so <clears throat> I hadn't really made money yet in my career. So I wanted to make the money, but I wasn't willing to stick around under uh, inferior uh, leadership. And so I was rooting for John to take the role and, and doing what I could to uh, encourage him to do so. <clears throat> and uh, the morning that, um, the morning that, he let me know he had decided to take the role. Uh, there was a real spring in my step and I did something that's that's not like me. I made an impulse purchase. I went to a jewelry store in, Mid- in Midtown Manhattan and I bought myself a Panerai. I decided to wear it today because I knew I was going to be talking to you about this. Um, I know Jeremy Duggan had one of these things and I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, But I also knew they were like $7,000. But once John decided to take the role i knew i was going to make money and i went in and paid uh paid list whatever they asked i didn't even negotiate i just uh, walked out with it so uh so thank you john for taking that role and wearing the watch today
0: <laughs> <laughs> brilliant story that one
1: yeah. um, so, uh, so, cool. so, i was going to say so what what was the mission so once uh, john had taken over i know he kind of rounded up his generals put them in key positions what was your role
2: ran the east so i I, uh it was the same sort of geography but it was a much bigger team so uh so i so i ran the east i uh there was a there was a really awkward few months there when uh the blade logic team were still specialists and sort of um i'd say subservient uh to a degree to the bmc uh core team and so there was a there was a I'd say there was a there was a period there with a lot of a lot of friction and and it wasn't it wasn't much fun and then uh, the organization got I think uh, <clears throat> collapsed together and it was one organization and then I think that was that was the beginning of a um, a period where there the sales execution was elevated expectations and accountability were elevated <clears throat> and uh, and and there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of change in the organization there you know there there were people that uh, that just didn't fit with the new operating uh, uh, operating cadence so we had to we had to make a lot of people changes during that period so
1: so were you running boot camps or you know how, how, what did you do to get these guys up to up to you know your rhythm
2: we did run training. We didn't call them boot camps. I, I don't remember what we what we called them. But but yeah, we ran uh, we ran training. I don't remember what the cadence was, whether it was I think we ran uh, a weekly uh, a weekly sort of PG oriented training. But then we ran uh, monthly uh, monthly trainings. We did. Yeah, I don't remember exactly the cadence, but we definitely elevated the training uh, quite a bit. We, you know, instituted, uh, you know, instituted uh, dedicated uh, pipeline generation sessions. We uh, <clears throat> we came up with the idea of doing a business value assessment, where you uh, where you partner with a customer to assess the potential value of the solution and essentially build a business case that can then. Uh, justify a decision. So we elevated the way the team was was operating in a lot of ways. Uh you know, not the least of which is introducing uh you know Medic or MedPick into the forecasting process.
1: And in terms of your evolution as a sales leader, did you find that you were finding your own rhythm? Were you kind of crafting your own style by this time or
2: yeah <clears throat> yeah I, I think so. I think so. I think I was it was the first time that I was running a large team. And, uh, and, and, you know, and John was running a very large team. And so I think it was the first time <clears throat> that, um, that I felt a real sense of autonomy. And, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't have, we didn't have enough time to run every decision by, you know, by the boss. And so <clears throat> I had to make uh, sort of people decisions and deal related decisions uh, on my own at scale. So that uh, I'd say towards the end of my Blade Logic experience and certainly into the BMC times uh, was the first time that I, I really felt like I was operating autonomously.
0: Sure. So, so at this stage, you've obviously got a taste for that, for autonomy. Do you think at this point is the point where you realize, do you know what, where am I going? And do I want a table? Do I want to see at the top table? Do you think it was at that point that that started to?
2: Yeah, it was around that time. It was uh, it was around my time at BMC that um, that I, you know, I, I guess as a result of operating autonomously, I, I I I I figured out that I that I could do it, or I thought right. I could do it, and so uh, and so I, I that's that's when I became sort of ambitious to be a head of sales.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because the pattern continues from here, right? You oh. move on to um, Dynamic Ops, which uh, you're there 2011, 2013, which is then acquired by VMware, another That's huge right. company. Um, and then Clearside, um, senior vice president there for a year. And then by the sounds of things, area probably got... Yeah got a call from Dave um, yeah yeah 2014 to take on your first CRO role, role right
2: well actually dynamic ops uh, uh, dynamic ops was ahead of sales the, right. the title CRO wasn't popular then but right. it was had it was at, at BMC that I uh, that I felt I felt confident that I could you know, run or build a, a sales organization and dynamic ops was my first opportunity to do so. It was a, it was a small one, but that was, that was my first uh, time. <clears throat> and then uh, dynamic ops uh, got acquired, um, in my opinion, uh, prematurely. There was a, there was a lot of potential uh, still there, um, but we got acquired by VMware and I didn't, uh, I didn't want to stay at VMware. <clears throat> and so I, uh, I took a job at, at ClearSlide and the business was growing uh, quickly, but uh, to be honest, the, the cultural fit for me wasn't great at uh, Clear ClearSlide, <throat> um, but I'd moved out to the, to the Bay Area for the ClearSlide gig. And so when Dave uh <clears throat> accepted the job at, uh, at MongoDB to be the CEO, he called me not proposing that I join, but looking for networking because he knew I was in the Bay Area and, uh, <clears throat> he actually, uh, had, had, had something to do with me landing at ClearSlide. So, um, he called me just looking for, uh, looking for suggestions of good people in the East, in the New York area. And, uh, given that I, I, I wasn't really, uh, while, while the business was doing well, I wasn't enjoying, frankly, my time at ClearSlide. And so I threw my hat in the ring and asked him to, to consider me, which he did. And, and, you know, the, thankfully uh, that culminated in me joining, uh, a few
0: months later and what a rocket ship mongodb's been right <laughs> um, yeah. look just before we start talking about mongodb it's kind of you know I'm really interested in in kind of your mindset right you've been nearly fifteen years at this stage, having left PTC and kind of we, we take it from Oblix, um, yep. you know building acquired building acquired building acquired building acquired you know what is the mindset of, you know, and, and how do you keep doing that, right? Because it's not uh, a Monday to Friday, nine till five, right? It's not something that, you know, is done lightheartedly. Yeah. Like, what, what, what is it that's driving you at this stage to keep doing that?
2: I'd say the motivation for me has, uh, <clears throat> has definitely evolved over time. I'd say early in my career, it was, uh, it was, you know, a fear of being poor, and uh, and a, and a guilt for the sacrifices that my family made, um, <clears throat> and then uh, and then I think maybe towards the towards the middle uh, stages, it was more uh, you know uh, an ambition to see what I could achieve, um, and uh, and I, and I I'd say uh, now or or lately it really is I get a ton of satisfaction out of seeing others realize their potential. When I look back on my time at MongoDB, the thing that I'm most uh, proud of and it's most rewarding is is not the IPO or the money or the recognition or anything like that, but rather the impact that that company and that experience has had on individuals, people who came in with a lot of potential, but maybe not a great track record or not a lot of skill, and they applied themselves, they realized their potential, they got promoted, maybe promoted multiple times and went off, uh, either went off to do other things or are still there and thriving. But the experience at MongoDB changed their careers, changed their lives. <clears throat> you know, they bought vacation homes or put their kids through college or bought their first car or what have you. That's extremely rewarding. And so that, that, that trumps everything else for me right now. Incredible.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Um so obviously MongoDB, you know, there for 4 <laughs> years, um standing CRO, you know, a company which has just gone, you know, from you know where it was to where it is today, one of the fastest growing software companies in 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 its time at the moment. Um but, you know, from there you went on for that role moved on to, to Vera as a CEO, right? So you've yeah. now broken that glass ceiling, you've gone to CRO and now you've taken on a CEO role. Tell us about that. What what, what made you make that
2: that change? Yeah, yeah. So I spent <clears throat> about four years at uh at MongoDB and uh you know MongoDB is based in New York and and I was living in San Francisco uh through that period. So <clears throat> I was traveling, uh, essentially every week. And, uh, <clears throat> after about four years of that and, um, my wife pregnant with our second, uh, child, uh, you know, it, it felt like we either needed to move back to New York or, uh, <clears throat> or I needed to go, uh, you know, explore other opportunities. And I made the decision. I thought I was ready. I felt ready <clears throat> to be a, a CEO and, um, and I went to uh, a company, Vera, and <clears throat> I genuinely believe that the company uh, and 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 the people who hired me believe that the company was poised to scale and really ready to focus on on building a go-to-market engine. <clears throat> what became apparent uh, as I as I got there and spent some time there is there was it, there was a lot of promise, a lot of potential, but still some work to do on the uh on the product before it really made sense to 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 make big investments in uh in the go to market and so <clears throat> after uh you know after about a year there um it made sense for me to for me to look at look at other things and so i had to make a tough <clears throat> i had to make a tough decision do i look at other ceo gigs or uh, you know, or, or not. <clears throat> and uh, the calculus that I made was at that point, I was still an unproven CEO. And so I would have to take another sort of small, uh, small or troubled company <clears throat> to prove myself. And only then uh, would I would I essentially qualify for a, for an A plus uh, CEO gig. And, uh, and, and being in my early fifties, I, uh, I made the decision that uh, I wanted to. I wanted to do one more, <clears throat> you know, kind of one more run, if you will, and uh, and I wanted to put myself in a position where I could have that impact on people's lives uh, in a in a in as big a scale as as possible. And so I wanted to look for a company that was operating in <clears throat> a very large market with a significant product advantage and a top notch. Executive team and a company that I thought could uh, could scale in a big way, so that uh, I could have a hand at uh, you know what happened at MongoDB potentially on an even bigger scale. And so that was really my criteria. I decided <clears throat> I could get an A plus uh, CRO gig, a company that ticked all the boxes. And so uh, I looked around for for that and uh, and and settled on Trip Actions. And, uh, and absolutely believe that that's exactly what this is. I think this company is <clears throat> poised to dominate um, the global uh, corporate travel and expense management space. Corporate travel is uh, pre-COVID, it's six times as large as all enterprise software combined. It's a $1.5 trillion marketplace. So <clears throat> even, if, even if the market contracts by, say, 30% post-COVID, Well, then it's only four times bigger than enterprise software combined. And we do have a solution that pre-COVID was 10 times better than the alternatives. Post-COVID, you know, we've launched an expense management solution that essentially does away with the idea of filing or or reviewing or reconciling expense reports. And so an end-to-end global solution for travel, payments and expense management what we're building here now is uh, is I think you'd I think you'd have to go back to salesforce.com or AWS to find a company that's poised uh, to have the same kind of uh, the same kind of outcome if if you'll if you'll allow me I'd like to I'd like to make an analogy <clears throat> I was in New York um, during 9/11 I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I was uh, able to to escape the building actually uh, narrowly that day, but I was selling into IT uh, in the period post 9-11 and I saw something interesting occur, which is that IT organizations suddenly had to contemplate the possibility of having their uh, their data center, you know, on fire and, and inoperable. And so they had to have a disaster recovery strategy <clears throat> and there was a little e-commerce company that was six months away from going bankrupt, that had uh, unutilized uh, compute capacity. And they they developed this business called AWS to resell that data center capability in the wake of 9-11. And so they really optimized their offering and their messaging and their go-to-market to solve that problem. And here we are 20 years later, and Amazon's the the, I think the biggest company on the planet and 70% of their margins, their profit comes from AWS. And it was from a very challenged <clears throat> period, uh, you know, in, in the industry and for, and for Amazon, uh, this is absolutely trip actions, uh, Amazon moment. And we are, we're doing all the right things from a product perspective, from an organizational perspective. And so, I'm very confident that uh, there's going to be a really exciting story to be told here in the years to come.
1: So that's great. Thanks for that insight. So in terms of your, your, your kind of playbook, Carlos, so you walk in day one, you walk through the doors at trip actions. What are your first moves?
2: Uh, Assess the people, assess, uh, assess the, the leaders and, um, make uh you know make whatever additions or uh or changes to the team are necessary and then uh and then to look at how the team is operating and uh and and begin on a journey of uh of elevating uh, sales execution and 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 helping the organization grow into its potential and being a best-in-class sales organization so some of the some of the early uh Early, early things that uh, that we thought about and did was, uh, you know, the the notion of thinking about champions and um, assessing the politics in accounts and uh, and identifying economic buyers and getting to those people. Implementing MedPIC at scale as a as a method for uh, for qualifying deals. Um, <clears throat> we've transitioned to a, to a process where we where we dedicate uh, Tuesdays to pipeline generation. Uh, we do uh, we do quarterly uh, business reviews. We do QBRs once a quarter. Um, so so definitely bringing the organization to a little bit more rigor and structure and a more um, a more repeatable operating cadence on a weekly, monthly, and quarterly uh, basis.
0: Incredible. Carlos, we always like to um, end the podcast with um, a couple of questions. Um, One of which is to to understand what you do outside of work, right? As I mentioned earlier, there is a huge amount of your time, no doubt consumed with all these different projects, but how do you find time for yourself and what do you do in your spare time?
2: Uh, Well, I have two little kids. I have a five-year-old boy, Lucas, and a two-year-old daughter, Olympia. So I definitely spend time with them and are, and our dog we, we hiking and whatnot when it's when it's me time uh <clears throat> i like to ride a bike um i like to ride a road bike a uh, little bit of mountain biking but more more road i love music i uh i i liked i i was a dj early in uh early in life and so uh I is still that like how you met is is that well
0: obviously you and mark Musselman came a came <coughs> part uh, part of each other at blade logic but obviously We've we've had him on the show and yeah, his, his obviously success in DJing. Do you ever spin yeah, records with him? <laughs> I never,
2: I never. Yeah, maybe you know what? Maybe I did at a uh, at a house party in Montauk once, but uh, but yeah, we've definitely connected on that front. Uh, I just saw him a few weeks ago for his fiftieth birthday party, but uh, but yeah, so I I definitely uh, like to geek out with audio equipment and uh, and listen to music uh, loudly. I like uh, <clears throat> I like to drive uh, faster than I should as well. Love that.
0: <laughs> and by the sounds of things, your day-to-day job is all of all, all speed as well. So uh. yeah,
2: indeed, <laughs> indeed.
0: So yeah. Simon,
1: yeah. So I suppose the final question, Carlos, we always ask is, um, you know, does the hunter make the unicorn in the sense of the hunter being kind of the the, the sales hunter? Is it possible to create the billion-dollar valuation companies? Would they be as successful without the uh, without the uh, hunters?
2: Well, I think you asked two questions there, and, uh, and my answers are different. <clears throat> Can you build a billion-dollar company without a great sales organization? I think the answer is yes. There are some out there. Uh, <clears throat> if the product is just so extraordinary um, and solves such a big need – the market will figure it out and you can build a a, a great company uh, with maybe just an okay sales organization. I think there are examples of that. Um, Now, can you optimize the potential for a solution and for a company without a great sales organization? Absolutely not. Um, You know, you do need, uh, I think you need all three ingredients. You need a market that's big, and that has some real pain. You need a solution that's highly differentiated and uh, differentiated in a way that provides customers with real value and competitive advantage. And then if you pair that with a sales organization that can take more than its fair share, that can uh, sort of shake customers into, uh, into recognizing that they need to think about this this area and and make a decision then that's when you get uh that's when you get the optimal or the the magical outcomes and you know you've seen MongoDB, snowflake and 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 many others where where you've got that combination of market product and uh and sales
1: yeah thanks for that great answer so um I suppose, in terms of a summary, Carlos, we always try and bring links. you know the thirty three CXO series is very much about understanding the common factors, the common values. Why has this remarkable group gone on to create such incredible success um, you know as a collective, but then um, as as individuals? And so kind of reflecting on your on your story in your past, so we've we've obviously heard the journey through kind of PTC and and, and that story that you shared about the, the 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 rock in the shoe. I think it's a great analogy because at the beginning of your career, it's very very evident. Obviously. You're kind of concentrating on the master of the of the craft and really understanding that analogy and and becoming a master of being able to take that rock out of the shoe um, and creating that scientific process around that and then we start to see the transition of yourself as, a, as a, from being more of an individual to really started to understand the power of taking power and pride from enabling others and we can see that that shift in mindset from self to others um, has probably enabled you to continue to propel yourself to to the next level now we've heard from others about your ability to really maniacally break things down, understand processes, use that science in order for you to really enable others. But I think it's not just the process, but I think it's the the passion for you wanting to succeed, see success in others, which has enabled you to elevate your success to the level that you have. So, Carlos, I just wanted to say what an absolute pleasure and honor it has been to have you on the show. We are so, so psyched to be sharing your story with the world and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
2: Thank you very much for the very, very kind and generous words and, uh, and for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Simon and Oliver, keep, uh, keep doing this. This is great.
0: Brilliant. Thanks ever so much for your time, Carlos. Appreciate you're a ridiculously busy man. So um, yeah, thank you once again.
2: All the best.
0: Cool. There we go. It's a lot-